0: So I'm, I'm delighted to have uh, Professor Carl Mitchum uh with me today to talk about Ivan Illich. Um Professor Mitchum is himself a distinguished uh philosopher of technology and so this is a, a great privilege to be able to talk to him um and also uh, a friend of Illich and someone who had, who's known him had known Illich for a very long time um and so I was hoping that Professor Illich would give us a or excuse me Professor Mitchum would give us a um a little bit of an introduction uh to Illich especially at a kind of personal level so thank you, uh, Professor Mitchum, for being with us. And um, I'd love to hear what you think might be some useful things for somebody who, who has not uh, known uh, Illich personally or, or known much about his background. Maybe what would be good for us to know uh, about Illich the man as far as his his commitments um, and his experience and maybe some of the influences in, in his work and life?
1: Okay. Okay. Um... Thank you for inviting me. It's yeah. good to meet you, uh, Michael. And uh, um, let's we can drop the professor and uh, just Carl, uh, Michael talking about this. Uh, certainly, Yvonne never uh, stood on uh, formalities in, in, in unless he was trying to uh, exercise some. Uh, authoritative influence in an institutional setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and we're not we're not doing that. Um, well, maybe I'll start with uh, how I met him. Uh, yeah. That um, I, I I did this. Uh, I was doing research on philosophy of technology in the nineteen late nineteen sixties, early nineteen seventies, and I ran across his work. Um I included a reference to i think it was tools for conviviality in the the first um, big book I did on uh bibliography of the philosophy of technology, but i didn't pay that much attention to him he didn't stand out for me as somebody special um, but then I kind of kept hearing about him um from a Various people who were doing work in uh, uh, this emerging field of science, technology, and society studies. Um, I had uh, moved to to New York City, was teaching at Brooklyn Polytechnic Institute, and they were creating a, a small STS-like program. And um, I got a I think I just got a phone call from the director of that, of an STS program at Penn State University named, uh, Rustam Roy. Uh, he's a materials research scientist, uh, founded the materials research lab at, at Penn State. And, um, he wanted me to come to a conference. Um, and, uh, so, uh, he, he just created a new journal, uh, bulletin of, Science, technology, and society, which uh uh Jacques Elul was his co-founding editor. And I had been corresponding with Elul since um oh uh, ten years. Uh, and uh so I, I think that's how Russell Roy actually got in touch with me because he he, uh, he knew of me through Ellul. Um, and like I say, he gave me a call and said, would I come to this conference of the National Association of Science, Technology, and Society, which he was just founding. I think it was the founding meeting. Um, and then a few days later, um, uh, I picked up the phone. <laughs> and this uh, voice, l- like uh, a booming voice out of uh, the heavens, this is Yvonne Illich. I want to speak to Carl Mitchum. Uh, And I I said, golly, uh, this is me. Uh, And uh, he was visiting Rustin Roy at at Penn State. He became a a visiting lecturer at at, uh, Penn State. And so uh, he wanted me to come to Penn State and uh, join in one of these what he called living room conversations. Uh, this was Illich's way of, of working in the last 20 years of his life, 25 maybe. Um, he would simply say, well, this is a theme that I wanna talk about and we're gonna be doing it. We're gonna be talking about it here, someplace, wherever he was. And uh, he would invite as many people as uh, he thought was appropriate. And it was our job to pay our own way and get there. Uh, there was no honorarium or anything. Uh, and uh, he would figure out ways to put people up in a very, bring your sleeping bag. Um, and uh, the, the way these conversations worked was usually started um, Friday evening, sometimes on Friday morning. Um, people would show up and um, oh somewhere between fifteen and twenty at a time. Um, and uh sit around in a in a room on the floor usually or there'd be some chairs. Um, and somebody would make a, a little presentation on the theme or the topic. Um, he would have he would have arranged this who was going to be talking about what in advance but it was very informal. And, um, somebody would talk a little bit, oh, 15 or 20 minutes, and then it would devolve into a conversation in which uh, Yvonne did a lot of the challenging. Uh, what do you mean by that? Or uh, oh, that's a crazy idea. Uh, and uh, so it'd go on for another hour and a half or so, and then people would wear out you know, after about two hours. And there'd be a pause. And, People would, uh, well, on Friday, people would put together a pasta meal and, uh, eat informally or around the big table. Uh, this time it was in the summer, so we just sat outside in the yard. Um, and, uh, you know, after a little pasta and a little wine, um, we'd settle down in an hour or so later, um, and do the same thing again for another, Round um, and then it would you know be ten o'clock or so, and some people would wind up talking more, but other people would crash and get up the next morning and sort of very informally anarchistically uh somebody would start a pot of coffee and tea, and there would be some informal uh things to nibble on for breakfast um and then. Oh, by about, uh, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd do it again. <laughs> Sit down. Uh, somebody do a little thing. And, and usually as a result of the first one or two, uh, somebody would say, you know, I, hey, I want to, I want to talk on that. I I, I want to, I, I got something I want to say on that. Um uh, so it was not set in advance. Um, and, uh, we go through the same routine, uh, a couple of times. Um, and then break for lunch, have a little siesta, and then do it again. (laughs) You know, and it's all about 10 o'clock at night. Um, get up the next morning on Sunday morning, start again. Uh, and sometimes it would bleed on into Monday. Some people would have to go Sunday afternoon. Um, some people would, some, some new people would show up late, didn't get there. Um Illich, some people would be working in different languages. Uh, this was especially true. I've attended these kinds of sessions in, in, uh, Cornavaca with, with Illich, Penn State, and, uh, Germany and Italy, uh, France. Uh, it was a, he, he called it a, uh, uh, like a floating crap game. So <laughs> wherever he happened to be, if there was a place to do something, and the spirit moved him, he would set up one of these things. Uh, usually, there was somebody other than him who was serving as the 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 place host, the location host. Um, and uh, so that's how I began to know him. Uh, very informally, he, he, he's, he's, uh, he's the most charismatic, uh, person I have ever known. Uh, I am very, uh, I, I always felt very blessed that he picked me out of a crowd and wanted me to be part of the, this uh, floating entourage. Uh, I was never, there, there was a, a really core group, um, that i was not really part of but i was sort of in the second ring of um, of people and he didn't make any real distinctions it, it was how much energy or time you'd put into it uh and uh he was a lot smarter than me knew a lot more than i did and he knew a lot more than most of the people that were involved like i started to say people were always working in different languages and he was such a great he, he was so completely fluent in uh French, German, Spanish, English um, that uh i remember one time particularly in bremen uh my german is practically non-existent uh i can read it a little bit but uh, speaking it is uh not not very good and uh, more people were speaking in german than speaking in anything else and he was always right at my ear uh translating for me. Uh and there was somebody else who was Italian and he was always right at her ear translating into Italian for her. <laughs> you know? Uh and, and making sure everybody was included. Um and and so you get you could have a multilingual conversation in which um, Yvonne would serve as a translator for multiple languages i i don 't know how I did it yeah, uh, remarkable so uh, yeah well that's how 's that to start
0: yeah no that's that 's terrific. those sound like um phenomenal meetings to have been a part of
1: yeah and then it just you know i i uh, well i i continued uh, i i moved to penn state um uh, a, a year or so later. And uh, I replaced Rustam Roy as the director of the Science, Technology, and Society program at Penn State. And so uh, Illich was always saying that I became his boss. <laughs> Nobody is Illich's boss. But uh, he, he was always, I mean, I, I did have to arrange for his salary and things like that as a guest uh, professor at Penn State. Um, and uh, he, he always was excessively deferential. <laughs> It was always embarrassing to me, uh, so uh, but he did it as sort of a joke too uh, he was he had a good sense of of institutional humor
0: uh, <laughs> that doesn 't surprise me. Um, friendship was a very uh, it seems like a very powerful theme in his writing hospitality and friendship um, I, i'm thinking even of um, Tribute that he put pays to Jacques loul um, in the mid 90s yeah. um, does that does that inform his choice to to host these conversational meetings um, oh yeah I, th- I think to, so I, mean, I think he uh, uh,
1: I think you're right to identify friendship as kind of his core core value uh, core the core good mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he certainly exhibited it uh, in in the way he was friends but he was a uh, he could be a very tough friend um uh, if he if he thought you were stupid if he thought you were saying something that was really off base he would he could almost blow up at you uh and uh it was um uh, uh there was always a kind of uh tension in the air when uh when he was uh uh, uh talking hmm. uh not a bad tension but uh he um, uh yeah i don't know how else to express it yeah that. Uh, the
0: um, seems like a formidable personality
1: yeah but yeah, it, it was, uh, I was always intimidated by him. Um, the, uh, the, uh, one of my, uh, uh most unusual, <laughs> I had so many unusual, uh, uh, crazy encounters with, uh, Illich. He, uh, uh you, you know David Cayley's work, uh, interviewing uh, right. Uh, Illich. And, uh, I met, I met Kaylee, uh, there. And then one time he was, um, there was a, a meeting in Cuernavaca, uh, and I went down to, uh, to Cuernavaca. I had been, actually, after I met Illich, I learned ab- about his time in Cuernavaca and I was working on my Spanish and I discovered that there were all these people who had been with Illich and after he closed CDOC in uh, Cuernavaca, they became just language teachers. You know, he was running a, a mm-hmm. language school as a subterfuge uh, for um, undercutting what he saw as Catholic church colonialism mm-hmm. in Latin America. And um, then when he closed CDOC said the institution had run its course. Uh, there were, it divided up all, had a fair amount of property and assets, divided up equally between the gardener and, and him. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody who was working there got equal shares. Um, and so a lot of the people uh, to continue to live there just started uh, language schools. There were more than one of the language schools in Cuernavaca grew out of uh, of CDOC. So I was working on improving my Spanish. I had, uh, uh, I'd made a commitment to try to become bilingual uh, to try to contribute to the diversification of uh, white man culture in the United States in the, I'd done that in the early 1980s. And um, so I, I I wanted to go to find a place to study it. They went down there, and uh, so I learned about Cuernavaca. And uh, then I was going back for uh, an LH conversation. Um, he wanted me to bring a computer for him. Uh He wanted me to bring a new, needed a new computer. So I, I bought it and uh was on the airplane with it. And um uh I knew I was gonna have to pay some kind of customs duties on it. And uh, so the plane landed, pulled up to the uh the gate and uh some Federale came onto the airplane, called my name, and and asked me to come to the front of the plane. He says, You got your luggage? And I said, Well yeah, you know, I've got I got my luggage right here. I think I checked something. And he said, come with me. And we went right. We bypassed all the customs and everything and picked up my luggage. And he put me in a limo and headed me for Cuernavaca. I, somehow he would arranged with the government to meet me. And uh, uh, actually, I think it was uh, Jose Maria Sper, who was a, a former cabinet minister in one of the um, – the governments, uh, that, uh, in fact, I know, as I remember, it was after the, this, uh, policeman, uh, got me through customs, then the person who met me was, uh, Jose Maria Sperr. And then he was, maybe he was the one who drove me to Cuernavaca. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that is likely to happen. Uh, uh, Illich had so many connections. Uh,
0: you know that's a pretty good segue um, actually to talk a little bit about uh computer technology because uh my understanding is is that uh Illich was saw a lot of promise at least early on in um, in the computer as as a convivial tool is that is that fair to say uh, I don't think so uh
1: mm-hmm. I mean you know, there's the la- the last chapter of uh uh de-schooling about learning webs or learning networks I forget what the title of it was uh, that's been taken as a uh, uh anticipation of uh uh online learning and mm-hmm. that kind of thing um but illich was very uh skeptical of computers uh he for a number of years he refused to write with the word processing program mm-hmm. and then he said uh, well, it was so convenient, it's hard to not do it. But he insisted on always writing things out in hand first hmm. and then typing them. I mean, he you know, he would write on a typewriter, uh, directly onto a typewriter. But he didn't like the idea of writing on a word processor. He used to claim that he could tell whether somebody had written a text immediately on a computer or not. I, I don't think he could do that. But uh, he used to claim that he could. Um and he, he, uh, he, he was pretty skeptical of computers. If you look at the book, uh, in the vineyard of the text. Yes. um there, I think you can pick up more his uh, skepticism about, about, uh, uh, computers and uh, what they would, uh, do. He, he certainly used them as repositories for documents, uh, because he traveled with so much stuff that uh you could travel with a lot more on a disc than you could in a, a books in a bag. Uh, right. But as far as I know, he did not read on a computer, uh read on a screen. Uh, he really just liked the screen
0: world, he called it. Uh, right. So – yeah, and my first encounter with Illich was actually through, uh, in the Vineyard of the Texts. That was the first, uh, of his works that I read. Yeah. yeah. If we can maybe come back just for a moment to, um, Tools for Conviviality, um, which is the book that, that we've begun, uh, this reading group with. Um,
1: and that's the book that, that, uh, well, certainly one of the, the first book that I, I read and one that's been uh, kind of central in my own thinking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and so that's terrific because then I, one of the things that, um, I think might be worth talking a little bit about is maybe how you see that book holding up over the years.
1: Um, well, I, yeah, I think it, it holds up very well. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, have you looked at, uh, Jean Robert's essay on that book in, uh, the challenges of Evan
0: well, it's funny you mention that. Um so on my on my bedside here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: But I've not gotten to that essay though. Um,
1: well that I think that's maybe if you only had to choose one thing as a commentary on it, that's it. Uh,
0: okay. That's good to know. Uh
1: the uh yeah, I think uh Jean Robert is uh you know, you're right, you might want to try to interview Jean Robert. He's uh you know uh and uh I, I might try to help you set it up. Uh Sure. He's, there's, there's nobody alive now that I know who knows more at the, at the philosophical intellectual level about sort of Illich's what go what, about Illich and you know, the, yeah. In a, a broad sense. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there, there are other people who are v- very close to him. Uh, Barbara Duden, uh, is, uh, also rich knowledge of, of Illich. But, uh, Jean Robert is, is, uh, uh, a, a special case and I'm, I'm gonna be very sad when he's, uh, Hmm. Not with us anymore, and he's he's uh, he's, he's uh, struggling with cancer now. So uh, not That's gonna. Good, he's, he's, he's very frail. Uh, hmm. I would, uh, yeah. I, if he would do it, <laughs> I'd love to get. I just for my own benefit. Uh, I'd, I'd love to get him in a in a conversation.
0: Well, maybe that that can be arranged. That'd be fantastic. Yeah,
1: we can talk about that offline. Yeah. Maybe, see what, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: what uh, elements of of tools for conviviality have been most important to you to your work? What are some of the, the ideas? idea
1: that uh, I, I, orga- I organized one of these uh, living room conversations myself as the host one time at Penn State on tools for conviviality, and I titled it uh, "Things Have Consequences." uh um, there was a play on uh, a conservative uh ideologue uh Warren Weaver right uh one of the uh, those southern uh conservatives uh old southern boy conservatives uh ideas have consequences mm-hmm. and uh he always saw that material culture has is is in, important as important, maybe more important than ideas. Uh, and, uh, the other person who, in my, in my experience, my in- encounters with him is, knows that equally well is Albert Borgman. And so I, I got together at Borgman and, and Illich for a long weekend, uh, at Penn State one year. And uh that's the theme that, that uh, material culture, material artifacts uh inform our lives. And we can't just think of them as just instruments that we can pick up and put down without them picking up and putting down something something in us. Uh and, that, that's where uh, Jean Robert was an architect. That's what he was trained as, as a, uh, Swiss, Swiss French, uh, got his uh, architecture degree at, uh, in Zurich, uh, at the ZTH. Uh, and, uh, Illich was very involved with, with, um, uh, physical stuff in the world and trying to defend vernacular architecture. Uh, the, the engineering design world that we're creating is a, is a world that's, uh, qualitatively different from a world that's craft made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that his 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 first clear statement about the importance of material culture is in tools for conviviality. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to. what He says we ought not to be designing technologies or tools or artifacts uh, for money making or convenience, but we ought to have this. This ideal, this goal of, of human conviviality or friendship ought to be the, the, the basis for decision making about which tools we use and, and, which we don't. Uh, and he, he would make references to Amish and, uh, mm. but, but he, but he was most concerned with, uh, the Amish are kind of their own version of an ideologue, uh, but, with with craft vernacular life uh, peasant life uh, the, the peasant knows something that the the urban city will or doesn't uh, and
0: uh, was this for Illich a matter of the the proximity um, to the material world uh, or the proximity to sort of these life ways that are sort of grounded um, and I hesitate to use more, more natural rhythms of life or more, or more humane scale. Yeah. I mean, all that, yeah,
1: all, all that. Yes. Uh, And he always had a, uh, a perhaps more, uh, he was a good rhetorician so he could figure out ways to say things to to call people up short. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, he said, uh, one of the things he said one time is the problem with modern technologies is they don't have any smell. Uh, the smell is something that there's there is only sprayed on on the outside. Uh, he, he had a big nose you know, physically. And so he liked to talk about, he could smell things that other people couldn't smell. Uh, and uh, you need to be able to, to smell where you live. Um and the engineered world w- was a world without w- was either a pasted on smell from perfume uh or too clean so that it didn 't have a smell hmm. um, and uh <laughs> uh yeah. but but the, the the craft that of living. Living with things that you made, uh, uh, and, or that, that you made and exchanged with others, or that you worked with others to make. I mean, you can't make everything for yourself. Right. Uh, uh, but at the level of, of food too. I mean, it's, uh, uh, he was, uh, he was a good cook, um, and, uh, he liked to have simple clothes, uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what more to say about that. Yeah.
0: Do you know of any, um, maybe exchange between he and Wendell Berry at some point? Uh, yeah, where, they,
1: met, they met. Uh, I think he visited Wendell, um, one time. In, in Kentucky, uh, if I remember right. Uh, I lived in Kentucky for 10 years uh, before I knew him. But uh, I went to, I taught Berea College in Kentucky uh, for a couple of years. And I went back to Berea College with him one time. Uh, and uh, he may have gone, somebody else may have taken him to visit Wendell Berry. Um, I know his, his very close associate Lee Hoinaki visited Wendellberry hmm. uh maybe more than once. Uh, but I I know they knew of each other. there was never a uh that much of a relationship, but I it's it's uh highly likely that he visited. But I wasn't there when it happened.
0: Yeah. The the uh affinity between the two seems to sort of, in my mind, center around the the concept of limits of embracing certain limits yeah, rather than exactly. seeing them always as things to be transcended.
1: Yeah, and Wendell Berry, you know, has a little to say. I will never write on a computer. That's right.
0: Yeah,
1: I in fact I remember that uh, Yvonne uh, shared that with lots of people.
0: <laughs> that, that that always is now uh, anthologized with the letters he received. Uh, yeah. <laughs> response, right? Right, right. yeah. And and Borgman, too, I think, gives us um, a, a great sort of taxonomy for identifying uh, the point at which, um, in, in a way similar to Illich, the point at which you cross a certain threshold, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like, where um, you have tools that, um, once they become devices in, in his language, Lose yeah,
1: that, you know, lose. that. That's in, in uh, tools for conviviality is where he develops the concept of counterproductivity, mm-hmm. And I think of that as one of his key concepts yeah. uh, that uh, uh, he's, he's not anti technology, but after like the example of, he, he gives is the, the bicycle was the ball bearing was, was a really good invention. Uh, it, it made life easier. Uh, put a take a a horse-drawn cart, and you put ball bearings on the uh, on the axle, and it's easier for the horse, and easier for everybody. Mm-hmm. It creates conviviality between you and the horse. Uh, and uh, uh, a bicycle with ball bearings in it is you can you can go good distances on that. Uh, but once you put a motor. Uh, a, a combustion, an internal combustion motor, with ball bearings, then y- y- you've you've created a, a class conflict between those people who have more speed than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a bicycle, anybody anybody can have a bicycle. Everybody can go. If you want to work at it, you can go at the same speed. Once you have cars, you can't do that. It's going to be some people are going to be uh, disempowered. Inevitably by those people who are powered as a result of the internal combustion engine. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his, uh, uh, close associates, uh, uh, Wolfgang Sachs wrote a nice book about the automobile. Uh, what's it called? In Love of, for Love of the Automobile. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a nice story of, uh, uh, advertising and, um uh, mm-hmm. Addiction to automobility. And, and, uh, uh, Yvonne and, uh, Jean Robert wrote a little manifesto called Autostop. Uh, have you seen that?
0: I'm not familiar with that, no.
1: Okay. Uh, cause Yvonne liked to talk about the, the paradox of automobility. I mean, to call an automobile, an automobile is, is, doesn't make any sense. I am, a, I have self moving. Hmm. I can walk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, automobility is what I do when I walk. Uh, I am self moving. The car is not self moving. Mm-hmm. It's not automobile. Uh, it's, we become, we think that now the only way we can move ourselves is with having a tool, a machine, that self moves us within within it. That that's not true automobility. And so the uh the bus stops in uh little uh, gentry buses, jitney buses in uh, in Cuernavaca, like it says uh places where the uh you can stand and they'll stop to pick you up and auto stop. So they wrote a little manifesto that they should stop there completely. <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> go any further. Uh and uh, then you could exercise your own automobility. Uh so it's a it's a nice little little piece.
0: uh that. Yeah.
1: Jean Robert So
0: you are not only at um the Colorado School of Mines, uh, but you're also spending part of the year teaching in China, is that
1: correct uh but not this year <laughs> i wish i right. missed, missed going to i missed going to china this spring uh, i think i would have been safer there if i'd gone um, yes i started uh uh regularly uh, teaching in the spring semester um, 6 years ago but uh, the uh and, and in a way it, it, it grew out. It has a connection with my, um, friendship with Illich. Uh, Illich was a little influence on it. Uh, you know, I, do, I divide Illich's uh, intellectual life up into, um, kind of three different stages. The, the early Illich, uh, when he was a, a priest, um, Officially functioning in the church. And then, uh, the, the LHU was the, the social radical who went to Cuernavaca and created C-Doc and, um, wrote the books he's most famous for, mm-hmm. uh, de medical nemesis, tools, uh, and, uh, then the, the post-Cuernavaca Illich, uh, the, uh, itinerant scholar who, um would wander around the world and sit for one place or another. Well, when he started that third phase, he had the, he had the idea that he would like, what he was saying, he he was trying this archaeology of, of certainties that we have certain certainties that we're living with now that we don't understand. We need to get some distance on them. And he was, his primary method for doing that, if you can call it a method, was to, as he said, walk like a crab backwards into the past so that I'm constantly trying to look at the present as the future of the past. Um, and uh, trying to get some kind of perspective on the world that we live in now by walking backwards into the 12th century. Um, but he, he said at one point, he really wanted to go to China and write a history of the West in Chinese. He wanted to learn Chinese. Uh, that's one of the languages he didn't know. Uh, but at that time, you couldn't go to China. Uh, I mean, uh, Mao was uh, still in charge. He has a few little references here and there to uh, barefoot doctors and uh, Mao that are a little romantic. Uh, mm-hmm. He wasn't uh, fully aware of the. Uh, the horrors of, uh,
0: -hmm.
1: the, uh, the great leap forward and the, uh, cultural revolution. Um, but, uh, when I, when I became, uh, I became interested in China for a little bit in a way that like, Illich found me. I didn't find Illich. I mean, I knew of him, but I didn't, I didn't go out seeking him. He sought me and enticed me, uh, uh, into his circle of, of friends. Well, that, that's sort of what happened about China. I, I, I knew China at a great distance, but I was really not interested in going to China. Um, but I was the director of the STS program at Penn State and I got a letter in uh, uh, 1990 uh, right after the Tiananmen Square incident from a, uh, a professor at the, the uh, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences and China was trying to rebuild its uh Relationships with the West after, uh, after the Tiananmen Square situation. And, um, so sending some scholars abroad to, to learn things and to, uh, try to recultivate some, uh, intellectual connections. And I got a, a letter, uh, saying that he wanted to come learn about STS. Uh, and I didn't know who he was. Uh, this was the age of real letters, too. Um, and uh, I I was always accepting of anybody who would come. He was going to pay his own way. So he came, spent a uh, half a year at Penn State and another half of the year with a, a colleague of mine at, at Lehigh University in uh, in Pennsylvania, which he was the director of another STS program there. And then he went back to to china and uh his his english was uh, gosh awful i never i never knew whether I was communicating with yin xiang uh very well at all, but he was a very friendly guy uh, I think I may have introduced him to illich at one point i i don't really remember uh, because illich was coming and going uh, and uh but uh, he decided he wanted to bring Steve Cutcliffe and me to China. And again, I I said, golly, I, you know, I, any place I'd go, I feel like I've got to do a little bit of the, work on the language, don't just drop in. And, uh, but I, this language is so hard, so difficult. But I did it. I went for uh, uh, three or four weeks, Steve and I went together and he set it up so that we would do a, a week's worth of introduction to STS at the, um uh, at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. And they brought, uh, professors from around China. There are 250, 300 of them there for a week. And, uh, Steve and I did a tag team match. I would lecture for half a day and he'd lecture for half a day. Um, and as a result of that, um, they wound up uh, Ian wound up translating one of my books into Chinese. Um, and then I sort of became increasingly known in China, um, and started going on an occasional basis. And then it got to where I was going every year, uh, you know, for a week or two. And that's a hard thing to do. I'd go that far, you know, completely 12 hours time difference. Um, and uh so then uh, Renmin University offered me a uh, a four or five month appointment a year, and I can do that uh, mm-hmm. a lot easier I don't like to go for uh two or three weeks, and that enabled me to get more serious about trying to learn a little chinese too um, and it's become it's it's been I, I'm as grateful for the chinese to the Chinese for wanting me to come spend some time in China mm-hmm. as i for wanting me to, uh, come be involved with his, uh, his floating, uh, uh, living room conversations. Um, uh, it's been, it's opened up another whole life. I'm having a, uh a new, a new life with, uh, with, with China. It's, uh,
0: a great experience. Uh, and there's some insights I in in, uh, in our email exchange you mentioned uh, some insights that you gained from that experience uh, with regards to uh, philosophy of technology or how we might better think about technology
1: yeah uh, i 'm still working on that yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, i'm still trying to figure that out yeah. it's i mean it's it 's clear that do you know who Joseph Needham was? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Joseph Needham was the big discoverer of, of, uh, Chinese science and technology and engineering. And as, uh, Needham points out, uh, for 2000 years up until 1500, China was the world leader in scientific and technological development. Uh, there, there's, He's cataloged for, from about a thousand BCE to 1500, uh, CE. Every year, every, every, every century, there were hundreds of inventions in China that were making life better on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's never been a civilization which has been more consistently uh, uh, but slowly, uh, at a human pace, mm-hmm. uh, technologically in, invented, uh, technically, not, I, I don't, maybe you shouldn't use the word technolo- technology for that period, but craft invention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then suddenly, uh, Europe took off about fifteen hundred and eclipsed china uh, and what caused that change what What happened what caused china it, the West has been a challenge to China ever since uh, China's been having to try to figure out how to um, resist colonialization i mean China is the 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 only uh developed developing country uh that has that has not been colonized. Uh uh it's been colonized around the margins, but it's the only non Western country that escaped Japan escaped until after the Second World War when the US occupation ended that. Uh, Ethiopia has escaped. Ethiopia was never colonized. Uh, but I don't think there's any other country. And certainly it's the, the largest, largest country with the most, uh, the, the longest continuous history in the world. Uh, and so I'm just trying to figure out I'm trying to learn from the Chinese what they think, uh, about the West. Um, the Chinese are learning from the West like crazy. Uh, we're sort of not learning from China. We think, you know, there's so many problems with, uh, uh the communist party and the state that, uh, we don't think we can learn from China. But this, this, uh, so, uh, I, I did teach, I taught my class using Zoom, uh, and, uh, it was great. Uh, we would meet each week on Zoom for 16 weeks, uh, and, uh, we talked about such things. I had, uh, 10 registered students and about 10 other people who set in because they, they were, you could do it from any place in China. Right. Uh, and I'm just, I am just, Amazed at how good Chinese students are, uh, and how different they are than American students. Um, American students feel like the world owes them a living. I, this is a little unfair. There are, there are some very good American students. There. Um but by and large, crudely oversimplifying, uh, Professors in the United States have had to become uh, entertainers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as more than one student has told me, uh, I'm the customer, and the customer is always right. Uh, so I, that's not true in China. They respect uh, expertise. Uh, you will never have a Chinese student contest a grade. They might want more of an explanation, but they're never going to say you were unfair.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, students, you cannot give anything less than a B. Uh, I've discovered in, at, at Colorado School of Mines, you couldn't give anything less than a B without a student complaining. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't possible. You had to be prepared to go to the mat. Um, you just don't have to do that with Chinese students. They're hungry. They think that old guys know something. <laughs> and, uh, now, maybe it's just, you know, uh, uh, enjoying being appreciated. Uh, but I think it's something different. I think there's some, there's a, a tradition of respect for, for culture, for education, that has been attenuated, if not lost, except for STEM education. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything has to be science, technology, engineering and math. Uh, but the Chinese are no slouches at, at STEM, but they, they think there's more to education than that. Uh, um.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Carl. I, I realize we're coming up on an hour, and uh, so I'm I'm deeply appreciative for your time.
1: My pleasure. Yeah. I am appreciate that you. I, I like I, I like talking about Hillage, uh, and uh, trying to. It's a it's a pleasure to remember uh, remember uh, his life and what his influence on me and others.